You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. As well, these podcasts can be heard at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 93A by Rudolf Steiner. It is the lecture notes by participants of 31 lectures, uh, early lectures, uh, entitled Foundations of Esotericism, translated by Vera and Judith Compton Burnett. This is Lecture 12, given in Berlin on the 7th of October, 1905. When the physical body is discussed, most people have a very unclear, confused idea of what it actually is. In point of fact, what we have before us is not just the physical body, but a combination of the physical body with higher forces. A piece of rock crystal is also physical, but in its very nature this is something quite different from the human eye, E-Y-E, or heart, which are also physical. The eye and heart are parts of the physical body, but they are intermixed with man's higher members, and through this something is brought about which is completely different from other aspects of the physical. In water we find oxygen and hydrogen, but they look quite different from when we see them separated. Then we are aware of their difference. In water we have before us a mixture of both. What meets us in the physical body of man is also a mixture, comprised of the physical, etheric, and astral bodies. The physical human eye is similar to a camera, for, as with the camera, there appears within it a picture of the surrounding world. Only when one takes away from the physical eye everything that one cannot find in the camera does one discover the specific nature of the physical eye. So, too, one must take away from the entire physical body everything that is not purely physical. Only then does one have what in occultism is called the physical body. In itself it can neither live, think, nor feel. There, then, remains a very wisely ordered, extremely complicated automaton, a purely physical apparatus. This alone was all there was of human existence at the old Saturn stage. At that time the eyes were present only as little cameras. What was produced as a picture of the surrounding world came to the consciousness of a deva being. In the middle of the Saturn evolution, the so-called Azuras, the Archai, were sufficiently advanced to make use of the apparatus. At that time they were at the human stage. They made use of the automata and the pictures they produced. The Azuras themselves were not within the apparatus, but outside and only made use of the pictures as we make use of photographic apparatus in order to take pictures of a landscape. Thus the physical body of man was at that time an architectural structure of a physical apparatus operated from outside. This is the first stage of human existence. The second stage of development was the permeation of this physical apparatus with the etheric body. It then became a living organism. That also found expression in the configuration of the body. The automaton was built up out of a quite firm, undifferentiated mass, 
similar to what today is a jelly-like substance, like a soft crystal. In the second round of evolution in the old sun existence, the physical automaton was imbued with the etheric body. In this round, the solar plexus developed. It is so called because still today only rudiments of the organ are present. It fashions a nervous system into the physical apparatus. In the case of the plant, something similar is present. That is the second stage. But these stages are not final. Evolution gradually progresses. Even today the solar plexus is an active agent in certain animals which have not developed a spinal cord. All animals without backbones are single forms from left-behind stages of what was laid down earlier. It was only on the earth that man cast out from himself the animals with backbones. In earlier times his organism was still somewhat similar to that of the crab at the present day. Man has progressed beyond that earlier stage, whereas the crab has remained stationary. It is an astonishing fact that the whole inner formation of the crab has a certain similarity to the human brain. There is actually a similarity between the internal formation of the crab and the human brain. Like the human brain, the crab, too, is enclosed in a hard shell. After man had developed a spine and had metamorphosed the upper vertebra, he cast off the hard shell. The crab has not developed further. It has adapted itself to its environment by means of a hard shell that it needed to have and which serves the same purpose as does the protective covering of the whole body in man. The third stage is that in which the whole is transformed by the astral body working within it. This organic transformation is connected with the development of the heart and the circulation of the blood. The heart of the fish has remained stationary at a halfway stage. The development of the heart is proportionate to the degree in which there is an increase in the inner warmth of the body. This signifies nothing other than a drawing of the astral into the body. The spinal cord with the brain is the organ of the ego, the I, capital. This is surrounded by the threefold protective sheath of the astral, etheric, and physical bodies. After the organ, spinal cord, and brain of the ego had been prepared, the ego laid itself in the bed made ready for it, and the spinal cord and brain appear as organs in the service of the ego. The fourfold man is put together in this way. It is the Pythagorean square. Number one, the spinal cord and brain are the organ of the ego or I. Number two, the warm blood and the heart are the organ of Kama, astral body. Number three, the solar plexus is the organ of the etheric body. Number four, the actual physical body is the complicated physical apparatus. Thus has the fourfold being of man been built up. In occultism, what we have now described is again called a spiral, verbal, something that builds from outside inward and unites with what builds up from within. Physical body, etheric and astral bodies have built up the human being. Then the ego, the I, makes itself felt and this builds from within outward. These are the four constituents of man. Here we find in the outer an imprint of the fourfold man. All further development is of such a nature that the human being 
starting from this point of the ego, consciously experiences what previously he went through unconsciously. Today, in order to realize that this is so, one must in the first place investigate what took place when our ego, our I, was being developed. In order to do this, we must, as it were, take up our position under a certain organ. This is most aptly expressed in the Buddha legend. It says in the legend that Buddha remained seated under the Bodhi tree until the attained illumination in order to rise to higher stages, to nirvana. For this, Buddha had to place himself under the brain, under the organ of consciousness. That means the paths he had previously traversed unconsciously, he had to traverse again consciously. Under the large brain there lies, more toward the back of the head, the small tree-shaped brain, the cerebellum. Under this brain Buddha placed himself. The cerebellum is the Bodhi tree. This shows how what is said in such profound legends is actually taken from human evolution. Everything that now is known only by means of anatomy was at that time known in quite another way. The occult investigator made his researches with the help of the kundalini light. The pupil was prepared for this in the following way. He came to a master. If the latter found him trustworthy, he received as instruction, not actually a teaching, today it has become different, Today man must find his way by means of intellect and concepts. And so the Master spoke somewhat as follows, Every day for about six weeks you must spend several hours in meditation and give yourself up to some sentence of eternal value, completely sinking yourself into it. At present man cannot do this because life in modern civilization makes too many demands on him. At that time, the pupil meditated six to ten hours daily. He cannot do this nowadays without withdrawing from the whole life around him. At that time, however, the pupil required hardly any time for external needs. He found his nourishment in outer nature. He therefore made use of his time for meditation, perhaps uninterruptedly for ten hours. By this means, he very soon progressed so far that he brought his body, which at that time was less dense, into such a condition that the kundalini light was awakened within him. This is for the inner being what sunlight is for the outer world. We do not actually see external objects, but reflected sunlight. The moment when, with the help of the kundalini light, we can illuminate the soul, it becomes as visible as an external object, shown upon by the sun. So for the yoga pupil, the whole inner body gradually became illuminated. All ancient anatomies were seen from within through inner illumination. Thus the Indian monks who clothed their experiences in legends spoke of what they had perceived through the kundalini light. Now we must ask ourselves how the different parts of the human body are worked upon In regard to what belongs to the brain and spinal cord, man first works consciously on the physical plane through the human ego. Bracket, there's a gap in the text, close bracket. He has at present no influence on anything else. 
For instance, he has no influence on the circulation of the blood. Such things are developed by degrees. Here other beings cooperate, deva beings, so that all creatures having a blood circulation are dependent on deva forces for its regulation. The astral body is permeated and worked upon by different deva forces. The lowest work on the astral body. Higher forces work on the etheric body and still higher devas on the physical body, the most perfected body possessed by man. The astral body is strikingly less perfect than the physical body. The physical heart is indeed very clever. The stupid one is the astral body that directs into the heart all kinds of heart poisons. The most perfect part of man is the physical body. Less perfect is the etheric body and still less perfect is the astral body. What is only in its beginnings the baby, in quotes, in man is the ego organization. This is the fourfold man, which contains the ego as the temple contains the statue of a god. The whole development of human culture is nothing other than the working of the ego, the I, into the astral body, the education of the astral body. Filled with desires, impulses, and passions, the human being enters into life. And so far as he masters these impulses, desires, and passions, he works with his eye, his ego on the astral body. When the sixth root race, the sixth major epoch, has reached its conclusion, the eye, the ego, will have completely worked into the astral body. Until then, the astral body will continue to be dependent on the support of the deva forces. For as long as the I, the ego, has not permeated the entire astral body, so long must the deva forces support the work. The second stage of development, which follows the stage of his cultural development, is his development as an esoteric student. The human being works with his I, his ego, into the etheric body. Through this the deva forces are gradually released by the work of his own eye. Then he also gradually begins to see into himself. We can now ask, what is the significance of the astral body? For what purpose does man have an astral body? It is to give him the possibility, by way of his desires, to do what otherwise he would not have done, and to betake himself to the physical plane. For before man can acquire objective knowledge on the physical plane, he must direct to it his wishes and desires. Without these he would have been unable to develop an objective observation of the world or a sense of duty and morality. Only after a gradual transformation of his desires can these be changed into duties and ideals. Man can only pursue this path by means of the driving, organizing power of the astral body. The etheric body is the bearer of thoughts. What is thought within man is etheric outside, just as what is desire within him is astral outside. But it is only when pure thinking begins that etheric substance is radiated into the astral impulses. As long as thinking is not yet pure thinking, we have astral substance surrounding the etheric form. 
So thought forms, as they are called, are made out of a kernel of etheric substance surrounded by astral substance. Along the paths of the nerves stream the so-called abstract thoughts, which, however, are in reality the most concrete, for they are etheric forces. As soon as man even begins to think, he is already working with his eye, his ego, on his etheric body. When a man dies, it becomes clear that the physical body has nothing to do with the eye, the ego. Every connection between the physical body and the eye is broken off after death. Previously, this connection took place indirectly through the other bodies. When these are no longer there, the corpse has no further relation to the eye. Then the outer deva forces receive it, and it is again absorbed into the physical environment. The word verwesen, to decay, does not mean only a passing away, but a return to the vesen, being, out of which the body came forth. This is what may be said in respect of the physical body. The Dutch word leichaam does not mean leichnam, corpse, but the physical body which has to be carried about. The etheric body is to a great extent in a similar situation to the physical body. It is taken up in the same way by the devas and then again dissolved into general circulation. But there remains from the etheric body that part of it that the human being himself has worked into, and this does not dissolve. It is this which later, at the time of reincarnation, forms a central point around which what is to be added is crystallized. This small part of the etheric body remains present in the case of everyone. In the same way there remains from the astral body as much of it as the human being has worked into. Only during the last third of the sixth root race will the complete astral body be retained by everyone of normal development. Thus development begins by man's working consciously on his astral body. The task of the cella, the occult pupil, consists further in the transformation of his etheric body. The stage of cellahood is completed when after death the entire etheric body remains intact. The sojourn in Devakan is necessary in order to make possible a renewal of the forces of the etheric body. The small portion of the etheric body, which, to begin with, man carries into Devakan, can grow into the complete etheric body because the necessary conditions are created there. This makes comprehensible the varying length of the sojourn in Devakan. When the human being stands at the beginning of his development and has transformed but very little of his etheric body, he can only remain in Devakan for quite a short time. The part of the etheric body that is lacking must be replaced for him by the external devas. When he develops Further, he sojourns for a progressively longer time in Devakan. Thus the time that he spends there increases in proportion to his own development. People, however, who are more advanced sometimes reincarnate earlier for other reasons, for instance because they are needed in the world. When the cella dies, the entire etheric body is present. 
Thus, at this stage, the chala can renounce devakan because the etheric body has been completely worked through. Then, after quite a short time, rebirth takes place. He waits at first in the astral world, as in a place of transition, until he receives a definite mission from his master. Then he can again take possession of his etheric body in order to reincarnate once more. Until this stage is reached, a duality is necessary for evolution. That is, that which man is unable to develop inwardly for himself is built into him from outside. Help must be brought to him from without. Thus in Devakan, the etheric body is once more made complete by external deva powers. The physical plane and Devakan are polar opposites. Between them lies Kamaloka, a place of transition, a transitional stage, an intermediary condition that causes the human being to be connected with what he has worked into his astral body. The astral body leads man on to the physical plane, where he directs his attention outward. Here desires are cultivated by contact with external things. When a person dies, his craving for outer objects does not immediately cease, although he no longer has organs bringing him into connection with them. The desire remains, but the organs are lacking. In Kamaloka, he must break himself from this longing for the outer world. Kamaloka does not actually belong to normal development. It is only a stage where habits must be relinquished. It is because man can no longer satisfy his wishes, because he no longer has organs for the physical world, that Kamaloka comes about. When someone commits suicide, he has identified his I, his ego, with the physical body. For this reason, the longing for the physical body is all the more intense. It seems to him that he is like a hollow tree, like someone who has lost his interior. He then has a continual thirst for himself. When a man is put to death by violence, he is in a similar situation. In the case of someone who meets a violent death, he continues seeking for his physical body until the time when he would otherwise have died. The seeking can bring about harmful reactions. In such a case, it can happen that a man who meets his end by violence is filled with a terrible rage against those who have caused his death. Then in the murdered man, the blow is changed into a counter-blow. Thus from the astral world, the souls of Russians executed for political reasons fought against their own countrymen on the side of the Japanese. This happened in the Russo-Japanese War. It is, however, not a general rule. The End of Lecture 12